Well, good morning. My name is Dan Olson. I'm one of the elders here at Cedar Home Baptist Church. And this is the first time that I have been preaching in this building. Well, no, in this part of the building. The last time I was uh, able to speak was when we were meeting in the north side of the building and that huge wall was there and we were kind of all crammed in. I was supposed to preach here in October of 2015, but that Friday I got shingles. <laughs> and so for five weeks enjoyed that experience and did not, did not get to speak to you. Well, today is Father's Day, as you well know. And I welcome all of you that are fathers out there. Some have been fathers for a short period, some for a very long period, but we, we celebrate you and you can see that we have something for you after the service. All right. So now we're beginning the summer season and as you know, Pastor Dan is on a sabbatical leave and he'll return to us October 1st. And as Chris Meyer so eloquently put it, we are now beginning the smorgasbord of preaching. And it'll be begin with a series of uh, different persons with messages all over the spectrum. And since we've been in the book of John for two and a half years, I suspect that it will be an excellent opportunity for you to hear preaching, uh, a good variety of preaching on all kinds of topics and messages. Velkommen till Stanwood. Now that my inner Scandinavian has been exercised, I wonder if you've given any thought to what people think when they drive by and look at our church. You wonder, what do they think goes on in here on a Sunday morning? Now, I'm pretty sure that if they've never been to church, they really don't know. And they rely on a number of stereotypes. Probably lots of kneeling and standing and mumbling. Possibly a wild-eyed preacher scaring everyone in sight with dangers of hellfire and drink and dance. Maybe some of you had those same misgivings the first time that you came inside a church. Well, what I hope you found was this. People who sing praises with their hearts and their minds full of love for God in Christ Jesus. I, pr I hope that you have found people who genuinely enjoy being together, who have to be shushed every time we have a greeting time because it goes into extra innings. I hope you found people who, while they're sitting and listening to someone open the scriptures, they're asking God to speak to them, to speak to their heart, to teach them, to help them grow, to help them learn. I hope you see behind the scenes the people who have sacrificed so that we are able to do this. Those that run the sound systems, those that take care of children, take care of babies. So with all that in mind, I hope to take a bit of your time this Sunday and next to examine just a small part of Scripture, and I hope that you'll be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. 
because that's exactly what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about faith. So we're going to look at chapters 12 through 21 of Genesis. We're not going to get down into the weeds today. We're going to be at the 10,000 foot level looking at bits and pieces of the life of Abraham. So if you could go ahead and turn to chapter 12 of Genesis, that's where we will begin. Chapter 12 begins with these words. Now the Lord said to Abraham, or to Abram, excuse me. Now, we're not given any indication if this was an audible voice or an inner voice. And yet, it was clear that what Abram heard was the voice of God. Now, that will become important as we talk about this again next week. But however he heard the voice of God, he was clear that it was not his own thoughts, that it was not the thoughts of another, that this was God himself. Now how did Abram know the Lord? About all we're given in this passage is that he is a descendant of Shem. Shem was one of the three sons of Noah who was on the ark. And he's about the ninth generation. Any of you know anybody, anybody's name nine generations back from you? No, I don't either. But that's possibly how Abram knew the Lord. Anyway, this is what God told him. Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So whatever the form of communication, Abram is told to go. And so he goes. He sets out from what is now northern Iraq. He actually came from even possibly the southern part of Iraq. And so in that fertile crescent that you've learned about in school, he starts out from the northern part of Iraq and makes his way to Canaan. The passage lets us know how old he was when this happened. It says that he was 75 years old. Now, embedded in this promise or in this command to go is a promise that God makes to him. He says, I will make you a great nation. Now, we've heard this many times, and it kind of just goes right over our heads. But I want you to understand that this promise of making him a great nation was made to a man who had no children. That seems pretty strange. God promises, I will make a great nation out of you, and he has no kids. And even further strange is he starts this promise off to a man 
who is 75 years old. Now, (laughs) it says that Sarai, his wife, who is about 65 or 66, she's somewhere between 9 and 10 years younger than her, it says specifically about her that she had no child, that she was what they call barren. It does say in the passage, though, that Abram's father, Terah, was 70, and then he began to have children, and it was Abram and Nahor and uh, another one. (laughs) This is a strange setup. I have to put my Bible down below, and I don't have it open, so you can see it right there in the passage. Well, Abram goes. And that's really the first part of, of this faith that we are exploring. It is taking action based on what you believe that God has told you to do. So it's not sitting, it's acting. You may not know everything that you need to know, but you know just enough, and so you take action. And so Abram goes with this promise that he's going to be the father of a great nation, even though he has no children, even though his wife is barren, even though he's 75 years old, he still goes. The story's told about a high wire performer who had a wire stretched from one tall building to another, and then he drew a crowd, which is, of course, why he does what he's doing, because he's got to get a crowd to pay to come and see him walk the wire. And so once the crowd gathers on the rooftop, he takes the wire trip across to the other building and comes back again. And of course, the crowd is wild with applause, how excited they are. And then he says, do you believe that I could do that same trip with someone on my back? And they all go, oh, yes, you're so wonderful. And he said, okay, who's going to hop on? You see... If you believe something, but you don't take action on it, then it's a belief, not necessarily faith. Would Abram have been considered a believer in God if he had stayed in Haran? No, because God said, go, and so he went. So the first step that you need to grasp about growing your faith is that growing faith is taking action. Note also that the action that Abram Abram took had very little to do with him becoming a great nation. The direction was go to a land that I will show you, leave your family, leave everything you know, and he obeyed that part. And after this long journey, the passage says further on down that the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So once again, God is promising descendants. And remember, this is to a man, 75 years old, no children. So time in this new land passes. Events occur. Battles are fought. Once again, in a vision, God tells Abram, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Now this time, Abram points out what he considers to be a flaw in God's plan. 
Now, Abram must have been an engineer, right? Isn't that what engineers are supposed to do? Look at a problem and figure out what the problem, at a situation and figure out what the problem is. So he says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. See, life goes on, and plans have to be made. An heir was appointed, more than likely at Sarai's urging, because she wants to know, what will happen to me if something happens to you? And so he makes a plan and appoints an heir. See, that's another part of growing faith. It's taking action in the dark. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't have all the clues, all the information, but God still expects you to take action. Now, was this a correct action? God says, no. This man will not be your heir. One born from you will be your heir. But I think it's important to understand that even though you don't know what God has in mind for you, because you can't see the future, and none of us can, he still wants us to take action based on what we do know. See, we are at a tremendous advantage over Abram. We have scripture. We have revealed will of God through the scriptures in what he wants us to do, and we can be busy and active doing those things. You should act, you should plan, you should move you should live, and God will provide guidance and direction. Notice that God doesn't slap Abram around here. He doesn't punish him for taking action. He just says, no, that's not what's going to happen. So taking action is important, and being willing to take action when you don't know is important. Now that's not to be construed as, don't just stand there, do something. It's an admonition to think and pray before you act. But don't get frozen in the spot thinking that you are exercising faith by doing nothing because faith is action. So in chapter 15, God's response is to take Abram outside, shows him the stars, and says, count the stars if you are able to do so. That's how many descendants you are going to have. And then a very important verse, verse 6 of chapter 15. It says, Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram believed. Abram understood that what God had planned and what he had promised were the same thing. And so God considered it as righteousness to him. Paul takes a, a lot of time looking at that in the Gospels. I'm not in the Gospels, but in his, in his letters. And I would, I had thought about spending some time there, but it's just too much. So read Romans, you'll see it there. Read the, the epistles. He spends a lot of time talking about that. Well, in chapter 16 of Genesis, we see Sarai taking action. Sarai and Abram are a team, right? They spend time together. They're married. 
They talk. They interact. She knows about this promise of God that he will be the father of many nations, and yet she's barren. She's a problem solver. So she reasons to herself that since God has prevented me from having children, then she says, please go into my maid. Now that's, that is their way of saying, take my maid as your wife. And then perhaps she says, I will have children through her. This was a cultural thing that we see a number of different times in the scripture. So certainly a plan. A plan of desperation is how I would look at it. Now Genesis 16 verse 3 says that Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan before Sarai took this uh, action of giving Hagar her maid to him to be his wife. So let's see. Are there any math whizzes in here? 75 and 10 equals what? 85. My dad turned 85 last December. And if he called me and said, hey, guess what? (laughs) I think you could knock me over with a feather. So here it is, uh, age 85, Sarai now now 75, that she says, take my maid as your wife and see if you can raise a child through her. And guess what? The plan works. She's acted in faith. She's saying, God wants him to have children. I don't see any children. I gotta take action. She gives her maid and the maid becomes pregnant. As a result of this, trouble begins. Hagar despises Sarah, Sarai, because now everyone knows who it was that couldn't have the children. And maybe Sarai is just a little bit sensitive, and Sarai decides to make her life miserable, and she flees. We see that in the passage. And God says, where are you going? What are you doing? And and Hagar says, I can't live with that woman. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. She's treating me poorly. She's beating me. She's making my life miserable. And God tells her to go back and to submit herself. And so it says in the passage that Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Ishmael, by the way, the name means God hears. Abram thinks God has heard his pleas for a son. Abram thinks, like Sarai, that they have started on that path that God had promised would happen. So time passes. The boy Ishmael grows, and God has still not given Abram and Sarai a child. Then in chapter 17, Abram is now 99 years old. Sarai is 90. God comes to him and once again reaffirms that this promise that he will be the father of many nations. He gives them new names. The name Abram is changed to Abraham, which means father of many. The name Sarai is changed to Sarah, which means princess. 
And then in verse 17, we're told that Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah, who is 90, bear a child? I can't blame him for laughing. Can you? It seems impossible. Sarah herself would say, that ship has sailed. And then in his heart of hearts, he says, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. God's response is, no. Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? It means he laughs. God said to name the child the very thing that Abram had done in response to God's promise that he was going to have a child. He laughs. I was going to tease Chris Meyer and say that perhaps the child's name should have been, wait for it, Terry. (laughs) You have to know Chris Meyer to get that one. Okay. Well, here comes pivotal chapter 18. Abram looks up and sees three visitors standing opposite him, and he extends them wonderful, gracious hospitality. He kills a fatted calf. He feeds them like royalty. Whether or not he immediately recognized that it was the Lord and two angels or not, he still treats them wonderfully. And they ask, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, well, she's there in the tent. Then God makes a promise. I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. What is Sarah's response? She laughs. Now, can you blame her? This sounds like fantasy. And then God says, Why are you laughing? And what does Sarah say to God himself? I didn't laugh. You might say that to your spouse. You might say that to your kids, right? You don't say to God himself, I I didn't laugh. But she did. And what's interesting to me is that God does not push the smite button. Now, perhaps I should explain. Do you remember Gary Larson and his crazy cartoons? There was a cartoon he drew one time that showed God and some poor soul walking under a piano, dangling from a cord, and his finger is hovering over the smite button. Any of you ever seen pianos lowered by... I haven't either. Well, finally, chapter 21... Isaac is born. Now imagine a 90-year-old woman heavily pregnant. What an awful picture. (laughs) Imagine a 90-year-old woman going through delivery. I was there when my kids were born. It doesn't look like any fun at all. But a 90-year-old woman Nothing is said of the recovery, and it must have been a long one. But we do have some words recorded of what Sarah says. 
Sarah says this, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. That's true today. You've just laughed about what poor Sarah had to go through. Who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? She's excited. That promise that God had made 25 years before when Abram and Sarai were 75 and 65 has finally been fulfilled. So let me restate the points that I want to, I'm trying to make this morning about faith. First, faith is action on a promise. You see, you don't have faith in faith, you have faith in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Faith is taking action in the dark sometimes. Maybe not knowing all of the answers, but still moving forward and taking action. You see, when you can see clearly the way, it doesn't take faith to move in that direction. It's when you can't see, when you don't know, and you still act. The axiom that Jesus taught was this. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big things. You see, for your faith to really take root and be useful to you when trials hit, you need to be faithful in the little things. Learning how to trust God when, it, when not that much is on the line so that when that day comes and you are in the midst of the trial, your faith is strong. And God will give you that opportunity because God always leads you in a way that your faith will grow. Now sometimes that means not enough information. We are an information society. We want to whip out our spiritual Facebook and get more information. Let me know more about this. I need to know. And God often does not give us all the information we want. And finally, the easy, safe, and peaceful path is not always the way in which God will lead you. He's looking to give you peace in the midst of trouble. Remember his words? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In late 1915... Sir Edward Shackleton's ship, called the Endurance, was trapped in an Arctic ice in, obviously, Antarctica, right? He was a, an explorer, and they were exploring the new regions of that world. Well, now that the ship was trapped in ice, they were soon forced to abandon that ship and camp on the ice as the pressures were building on the ship. And eventually that wooden ship was broken into pieces and sank. And the ice floe that they had taken refuge on began to break apart. And in a desperate move, Shackleton and the men that were with him went across open ocean in lifeboats taken from the ship. 
five days later and almost 150 miles from where the ship sank, they finally found a tiny, almost uninhabitable island called East Elephant Island. Now realizing that they could not long survive there, Shackleton and four others undertook a very desperate action. They took one of those boats, they modified it by raising the the sides, they put sails on it, and in desperation, they got in that boat with less than a month's supplies and set off in search of an inhabited place so that they could cause a rescue. And against all the odds, Shackleton was able to make his way to a a base where immediately he began planning how he would get back to Elephant Island to rescue his men. So in June of 1916, with a small window of opportunity where the tides were just right, the wind was just low enough, he approached Elephant Island, and to his surprise, he found every one of his men on the beach ready to go. They got them on board and escaped the pounding seas. Once they were safe, he asked them, how did you know I was coming? One of the men answered, it was the man you left in charge, sir. Each day he would get up and say to each one of us, get your things together, boys. The boss may come today. That's how you found us packed and ready for your return. This is the kind of faithful person that I want you to be today. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Prepared, waiting for the Lord who promised that one day he would return. Taking action on what you do know and praying about what you don't and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today you have brought each one of us to this building. For some, life is really rough. For some, life is wonderful and they are rejoicing. Lord, I pray that today we would begin again to respond to you in faith, stepping out when you've told us to step out, taking action even when we're uncertain of what that future holds, being faithful in little so that we can be faithful in much and ready and waiting for your return. We pray it in Jesus' name.